Welcome to the Run Strong Podcast, episode 126. Rob Jones, new hat. Hi, yes, new hat. You've had Same two new hats. Same two head. new hats. You were Nigel Thornberry on the weekend in your white I, safari hat. I didn't know who Nigel Thornberry was. I, I'm sure most people don't know who Nigel Thornberry is. If you had a childhood, you know exactly who Nigel Thornberry is. If you don't know, Google. I was playing outside. I didn't recognize him, even still. I don't know who he is. Well, that's like I said, you didn't have a proper childhood. (laughs) And then, and now you're wearing some orange, I don't know, terrible thing. Terrible thing. So I don't get run over. Well, safety first. I do agree. Now, today's show is... Is a good one. Mm, you did it, it solo. I did it solo, uh, and I already had messed up one set of timings with this guy. So we managed to to dial it in. He he is currently living in. He's an American living in New Zealand. Mm. So time zones were not easy, and we both had a we both had a slight issue in working it out. Um, but the show is all about protein. Yes. Now the other important thing to mention here is today you and I trained together strength. We did. And I can do eight strict pull-ups and you can't. <laughs> You're going to bring this up. I thought you were going to say, oh, today we trained together and afterwards, did you get some grams of protein in? No, you're straight to the how many pull-ups could you do today scenario. Yeah. yeah. You, yeah. And yes, you can. Okay, so what we discovered today is that Tom Walker, TomWalkerFitness.com can do more strict pull-ups than me. Yeah, and I think that's important to mention. Just but I, FYI for listeners, that's all. <laughs> but what else did we do what were the other movements i think i squatted i squatted more than you i think i lunged more than you we I think we lunged the same to be honest split squat we hi, we hi, oh, split, kilos. oh sorry yeah we, we did we split squat the same i squatted more i think we high pulled the same high pulled the same uh roll um, rollouts we did and, yeah. uh, and box step ups you you were carrying 12s in your box step ups and i was carrying eights uh, i did 16s actually thank you very much 12s mate you need to check your kettlebells and actually for the ab rollouts i definitely win because i'm heavier in the upper body and my levers are longer as we discovered so it was harder for me yeah but as we've discovered from from the pull-ups my strength to weight ratio is is higher than yours yeah so you should have extended even further you should have had a weight vest on for those <laughs> definitely don't need a weight vest but mate was good fun. let's let's talk serious now you yeah, finished okay. strength training yeah do you prioritize protein now? I went straight upstairs, put my lunch on, uh, and went and had a shower. So within about, it's probably 12 minutes, I was refueling. Wow. I immediately had a protein shake and then got home and had some salmon, some mm. salad, and some potatoes. So we're both it's doing so- it. Yeah, this is always interesting because there's always a, there's a stigma, isn't it? If you don't get your protein in within 30 minutes, you're not going to make any gains. You're not going to recover. So does, Bob, does, does Dr. Bob go through all of that? He does. He tells Excellent. us how many grams of protein uh, mm. endurance athletes should be aiming for. Yeah. And then more importantly, gives us an insight into what kind of proteins we should be looking at. Okay. The Good. other thing about this guy is... He ran a 219 marathon. A 219 marathon. As you're going to hear, he's got quite a decent running career. By decent, yeah. I mean incredible. And uh, the amazing thing is 
he's six foot six and he was 200 pounds when he was running marathons. Wow. What's yeah. that conversion? That's about 90 kilos. Yeah. No, I is it? To be honest. <laughs> yeah. It's high eighties or low nineties. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So he knows what he's talking about. And then he went to Harvard uh, medical school. Okay. And he's got, he's got PhDs. I mean, he is a doctor. Uh, and he talks about how he got into it. I asked him a few questions based around how he got into the subject and then why he's stuck with it. And he's just, that's weird to say you're passionate about protein, but he's very passionate about what he does because he has a purpose behind it, which you're going to hear in the show today. Mm. And uh, if you go on. go on. And I was going to say, I haven't heard any of this show actually, so I'm very excited to jump in and listen to it. Yeah. And if you want to learn more, which I'm sure some people do after this, I've put the link to his website into our show notes and then you can go and see his, uh, his research papers and uh, he's got like some case studies on there that you can read about as well. And hopefully we've done a few shows on nutrition and they all mention protein, but this one is purely about protein. Hopefully people will really understand how important it is. Mm. I think it's probably the most talked about nutrients, isn't it? Or macronutrient. You never see uh on packets everyone well everyone is always labeling i should say on packets how much protein their food contains so it's, mm. it's the front of everybody's mind and especially in the endurance sector should be should so be. here we go here is dr bob wolf dr bob welcome to the run strong podcast hey thanks thanks for inviting me i'm looking forward to it we are on uh, we finally got down to recording the show after three or four attempts of, of getting our schedules lined up, mainly through my lack of understanding time zones. But thank you so much for, for taking time. You're currently in New Zealand, but you're not from New Zealand. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and how you ended up in such a beautiful place? Well, I, uh, the, relevant to the uh, uh, focus of this podcast, I uh, played basketball most of my youth and uh, went to the University of California on a basketball scholarship and played there and then played professionally for a couple of years after that and then retired. And I'd also always been interested in track. I had uh, competed actually in track at the University of California as well. Uh, I never was a great track runner, but I really enjoyed it. Basketball was really my focus. But when I stopped playing competitive basketball, I got interested in, uh, in uh, running. And uh, it was in the early 1970s when uh, the running boom was just starting in the U.S. And it was really uh, what kindled me was Frank Shorter winning the Olympic marathon in 1972. And it was kind of a featured uh, aspect of the television coverage of the marathon. And so I got interested in, in long distance running, knowing that since I was 6'5 and 200 pounds, that it wasn't the ideal physique of a runner, but, uh, but just wanted to see how well I could do in, in marathoning and ended up, uh, I guess my first marathon, I was about 24 years old. And my last one that I ran was, uh, was uh, 58. So a career of almost 40 years of, of running. And, and during that time, I was always a pretty good runner. Uh, I ran 60 marathons under two hours and 30 minutes but my best was two hours and 19. So I was kind of locked into the, uh, in fact, kind of an oddity. The first four marathons I ran, I ran in 226.06. So it was the exact same time to the wow. second. So uh, that inspired me to get just, you know, to learn everything I could about uh, marathoning to uh, see if I couldn't get off the 226.06 time. But 
And, uh, and, and so I, I spent a lot of time learning about different ways to train and, and not only optimal training, but how to fit it in with my lifestyle because I, uh, I am a PhD and, and I was, uh, I've had a career in, in uh, research and, and uh, I was at Harvard Medical School for about 10 years and then uh, University of Texas Medical School for 20 and, and now I'm currently at the University of Arkansas for medical science part-time and, and mainly living in New Zealand. Uh, I just mentioned very briefly my academics because I think it's one of the things that's hard for people to, uh, to decipher when looking at things that are kind of scientific as to anybody can put on a white coat and call themselves Dr. So-and-so and, and sound authoritative. And, and so it's important to kind of look at who, who you're listening to. And I've published uh, over 600 peer review papers. And if you look up my name in, in Google Scholar, you'll see that these papers have been cited over 80,000 times in other scientific papers. And so that's the statistic I'm, I'm uh, very proud of, but uh, yeah. I was actually telling my wife today, it's interesting as you sort of wind down your career that everything I can remember is sort of a highlight, it all has to do with running. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely have considered myself a runner first and a scientist second, but I have been able to blend the two things together to, uh, to develop insights into running that uh, are, uh, you know, have been unique and, and specifically related to the interaction of nutrition and uh, running performance. I definitely want to ask you about your running career because that is, I think it's, well, the stat of going the same time for your first four marathons is, is amazing. But doing your first marathon in, uh, in two, within the 220s is amazing as well, especially being a tall, heavier runner. How did you, you must have felt massive, first of all, on the start line compared to your other, your other yeah, competitors. Uh, you know, it's funny, you get used to being around people that are uh, big because I played basketball. And so, and in fact, at my size, I was not big at all in basketball. And then all of a sudden to be, uh, you know, working out with guys that are, seemed like they were coming up to my waist. And uh, uh, it was definitely, uh, uh, it was definitely a challenge. But uh, what, when I was in Santa Barbara and Santa Barbara was a, uh, uh, focal point for the U.S. Olympic training uh, for the uh, 1980, 19, well, it's the 1984 Olympics that they, or 1970, 1976 Olympics. Uh, I don't know, one of them. And uh, so I got, you know, a lot of people I knew were running track and I had run track. I, I was not a great track runner. I ran 800 meters and 151.0 was my best. So I was you know, a decent runner, but I felt like I could, you know, do more because I was playing primarily playing basketball in those days. And, and I had a couple of good friends that were running marathons. And so I really had an advantage, particularly back if you think about the early 70s of, of really having an insight into the key elements of training for a marathon. So that, uh, yeah, so the first one I ran, I guess I was too stupid to understand that I was going to crash after a certain period of time because everything went pretty smoothly. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the fact was though that I'd actually probably trained for it for at least three years before I ran that first race though. Of course I'd run shorter races, but the first marathon I ran was, uh, and in those days, it, you know, the running scene was a lot different too. There were only an occasional marathon here and there that, you know, there was, uh, 
So it wasn't like that the marathon was the primary focus, like it is now where you have just marathon, you could run a marathon every weekend. But, mm -hmm. uh, but I ran mostly, you know, intermediate distances, seven miles, 12 mile races. But in those days, it's like each little town had a race that was convenient for their town. So it'd be like around the, the perimeter of the town, it might be 7.6 miles. Uh, who knows what there was, you know, the idea of the 5K, 10K and all that was really kind of foreign until much later in my running career. But, uh, but I think the main thing was just uh, having knowledge of the basic components that you every week needed to do a long run, a, uh, uh, a, a pace, high, a hard pace run and interval training. And uh, that, that seemed to carry me through. And uh, of course, when you run that for your first marathon and everybody's so excited, you think you're gonna just get better and better. So in a way, it's a little disappointing that I, I never really got a whole lot better than that. But, uh, but uh, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed it and, and it's been uh, a big part of my life for, for all, this, all these years. Can you remember back then uh, what sort of mileage you were doing, weekly mileage? Yeah. Um, well, when I was in Santa Barbara, I was running tra in track workouts twice a week. And the track workouts were generally like 20 quarters or five interval miles. And then uh, uh, worked up to a 20 mile run every weekend. And, okay. uh, and then everything else was kind of a uh, rounding, rounding it off. Where I got really in a much, really in a good groove for training was then I, I went from there to Boston to Harvard Medical School. And, there, uh, I started running to and from work. And that really was the key to being able to get two workouts in a day and, uh, and be able to do it in conjunction with maintaining uh, or developing a career. And, uh, and so about, we, we had a group that would again run a 20 mile run or even 22 or 23 every weekend. And then, uh, that interval workouts were the heart of it for me. And growing up running track, in those days, we used to walk down to the track, put on our spikes and do intervals four or five days a week if you ran track. So the, you know, that kind of carried over to my uh, distance training where I always had done, you know, for 30 years, I did uh, two interval workouts a week uh, as a routine. And of course, as I got older, I started cutting down and I wasn't doing 20 quarters anymore, but, but I still was doing a, Say in my 50s, I was still doing uh, 12 quarters or uh, three interval miles every week. And then, but, but the main thing is sticking with those long runs. And, and twice a day really was a breakthrough for me because, uh, you know, the mileage I think is not quite the same as doing it in one run, but it's a whole lot more than uh, you can get a whole lot more without injury with the two workouts a day. And, and, you know, that's really what enabled me to have such a long career without any significant injuries. Yeah, that is amazing. Do you think you enjoyed your first marathon as much as your last or not? No, I'd say um, the last marathon um, was, you know, I, I think that I'd gotten, I, I, I think that I reached a point where, in about my mid fifties, I had a significant drop off in my uh, running ability, and uh, and the last one, so I, I I started throttling back on my training, and I thought I'd be okay, but then I really struggled through my last marathon, and just decided if I couldn't get if that was the best shape I could get in I, that I wasn't going to do anymore because it was just so painful, 
the first marathon, you know, it was such an illusion because it felt pretty easy. And, uh, you know, it really wasn't that easy. But uh, uh, now because I ran that 226.06 and then, the, then I ran to run in Boston and ran 244. So, uh, you know, it wasn't that every marathon I ran was un under, but then, then I got into this training routine of the two workouts a day. And then I never was over 2.30 until the one I was in, the, in my 50s. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's just the main things I can remember about uh, running the marathon is just uh, because I, you know, people often ask me, why do you train so hard? because obviously I wasn't gonna make the Olympic team. And, uh, you know, I was a good local runner, but at the national level, I was okay, but it was never gonna be that competitive. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I had, when that, that first Boston I ran, it was two, the night, it was 104 degrees and it was just uh, really tough. And the whole, and I, I like to play golf. And I, at one point the course went by a golf course and uh, I was looking at it and I'm thinking, well, maybe I should just be playing golf instead of doing this. And after that was over, I realized that I just, that's the last time I'm ever going to think about whether I, why am I running? I'm just, it's, it's what I do. And that's, uh, that's it. And I'm not giving it another thought. And I never did. It's just like, this is what I do. I get up in the morning, I run to work and uh, run home and do an interval workout twice a week. And, you know, I just never thought about it again, why I'm doing it. And then, uh, and I think if I had, I'd probably be questioning myself and many times along the way, but in the end, I'm glad I never did. Okay, that's uh, very interesting. So you also at this time, as you mentioned, where you're running to work, which was to, to be a researcher and you started to research proteins and um, amino acids or were you, did you go, were you researching other things before you got into what you are specializing in now? Yeah, I uh, much more so just the traditional metabolic uh, uh, factors like um, glucose and uh, fat metabolism and energy metabolism. And I worked for many years at a hospital for the Toronto Hospital for severely burned children. And uh, in the early days, the concept was that they wasted away so rapidly because they didn't have enough energy. And that was... Uh, the focus of my work was on uh, determining uh, caloric requirements and, and optimal uh, formulas for uh, meeting caloric requirements in severely burned children. And then that, that work led to the fact that once we had that optimized, they still just wasted away so rapidly that I began uh, realizing that it was the muscle that was the problem and, and that the muscle metabolism was altered. And and, uh, you know, really dove in uh, to, to uh, the challenging area of trying to optimize the nutrition and in severe injury and in critical patients. And of course, because of my interest in running, it just naturally kind of uh, bifurcated into uh, studies in the uh, responses in running, which actually were very similar in some respects to uh, uh, some, of the, some of the problems that arise in uh, critical illness. And, and I, I also had a project for several years with NASA on space flight and the loss of muscle. And so, so uh, you know, it's probably about the middle of my career, I started really focusing on factors that uh, were responsible for rapid loss of muscle, like bed rest and space flight and critical illness. And also uh, looking at the other side of it as uh, of factors that uh, countered that response, including exercise is the pr uh, principle 
focus, but also how exercise and specifically tailored nutrition could work together or synergistically to overcome a lot of uh, adverse conditions. And, and it just kind of led into uh, to focus more and more on, on, on uh, training because uh, of personal interest in some respects, but also the fact that uh, that as I got older, I was interested in the, the reason why as you get older, as I said, I got into my 50s and all of a sudden I was just running much slower. And what's the reason for that? There was no real apparent reason why I should have had such a nosedive. And uh, so that got me really interested in, in uh, the changes that occur as we get older and how to overcome those and maintain uh, uh, you know, an active lifestyle, including uh, continuing to run even into uh, old age. Mm. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about muscle metabolism then. We, we obviously understand that, that during exercise, your muscle gets stressed, but what does, what does that look like and what's happening to the muscle um, when we are stressing it through exercise? Well, I'm going to focus, you know, just for the rest of the time we talk about, I'm going to focus primarily on, on, uh, on aerobic training, not uh, weightlifting. Yeah. There are two kind of different circumstances, and I'd like to focus mostly on what's relevant to running. Brilliant. Um, the thing that, that I think is uh, one of the major breakthroughs that occurred in my work relative to what was conventional at the time was that uh, people in the 60s in particular, and maybe even into the 70s to some extent, looked at running as like kind of like a car and that you needed uh, gas to uh, fuel the engine and that, uh, that what you ate during a race or immediately before the race would be what would be used for the energy to uh, enable you to complete the run. And, and we did a series of studies which showed that uh, but actually, most of the energy from for doing the uh, for doing a marathon or a long uh, race, not necessarily a marathon, but for example, a marathon, comes from the use of of, of uh, energy substrates that are already on board, and in particular, the fat stored in your fat cells. That uh, that for a prolonged exercise, that that's the predominant source of uh, energy. And the, the, uh, the thing that I think threw people off more than anything was the, uh, the sort of the uh, hitting the wall due to glycogen depletion in the muscle. Because uh, whereas that did coincide in time, it led to uh, long use of uh, carb intake during uh, exercise, which really presented a lot of problems that in certain circumstances, it could help some. But that was, but one of the major problems with the carb intake that we found was that it stimulates an insulin response. And that once the glucose is cleared from the blood and the insulin is still hanging around that you started getting really sluggish from the uh, low blood glucose level. And so, and furthermore, the, the, if you take uh, carbs orally, that will inhibit the mobilization of the fatty acids that generally provide most of the energy. So, uh, so that, you know, and as, as we were doing that research, it was interesting that there was, uh, in, in those days, early 1970s, there were two big marathons, the Boston Marathon and Fukuoka in Japan. And the Fukuoka Marathon, the top 10 finishers in two, 1974 all had fasted for at least seven days. And uh, the, the whole point of the training had shifted to where uh, mobile, being able to utilize 
the endogenous fat in your body became the predominant source of energy and that they wanted to try to maximize their ability to use fatty acids. So that was kind of an interesting twist of that, that, that I think things have you know, changed quite a bit from, from uh, relying on, on, the, on the idea that you could eat enough carbs to provide the energy for doing a whole uh, long run versus uh, relying on the substrates that you have built through your training and nutrition through the training process. And, and the, the way I like to look at it with regard to energy is that when you get to the start of the race, the hay is in the barn and that, you know, what you've done in the preceding uh, uh, months and, and particularly the last few days prior to the race is really the crucial factor that's going to determine the energy metabolism. Uh, so that was that was the major focus of my work, but but I think that the thing that became first of all evident when we started studying the little children that had such trouble getting back into normal function after recovering from severe burns, I realized that it was really true for everything. Is that protein metabolism and muscle protein metabolism in particular was really a crucial part or component of the training process and. Uh, and so probably the last 20 years, I've focused almost entirely on how to optimize the uh, metabolic response of muscle protein to different types of exercise, in particular, either weightlifting as well as uh, endurance at the, uh, running. Okay, so uh, muscle metabolism is affected in terms of, uh, of, of protein within the body while we're, while we're doing aerobic exercise, not just through lifting weights. So this is where the importance of protein for endurance athletes comes in. Yeah, there are two aspects that are crucial for protein metabolism uh, as part of training. And I think you're, you're, you'll probably be familiar with both of them. But to realize, I think that may not be as aware of the fact of how crucial the protein component is. The muscle protein is, uh, is made up, the muscle is composed of hundreds of different types of protein, but the the primary proteins are cross are, are proteins that are fibers that uh, uh, contract by sliding across each other. And there's a mechanism of the structure of the proteins that enable this to occur with, with a good force. Uh, these proteins are always in a state of protein of turnover, meaning that they're constantly being broken down and replaced by new proteins. Uh, this process is sped up with training because and, and the result is an improvement in muscle quality because what happens is as you do a workout, you get muscle protein breakdown and the proteins that are not really functioning as well, the cross bridges that cause this muscle contraction are, uh, some of them are broken and uh, some of the proteins are partly degraded. Those are the ones that are broken down and they're replaced by new proteins that uh, function much better so that uh, so that we can actually see in, 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 in taking biopsies out of, of the muscle and looking at them in, in a very controlled in vitro state that the force of contraction not, is not dictated entirely by the muscle mass, but rather the quality of the muscle. And that the training in or, enables you to have a faster turnover of the muscle protein, more breakdown, more resynthesis, and this process improves the quality of the, of the protein. Uh, what we found is that we can amplify this considerably uh, through the protein and amino acid nutrition that uh, occurs uh, as part of the uh, daily life that you add 
uh, uh, particularly specific amino acids to, uh, uh, in conjunction with the diet, it stimulates this process of turnover, not only synthesis, but breakdown. So that, so this process doesn't build bulk, but it does improve the quality of the muscle, the strength that's able to be generated. And the second aspect is, is totally different, but the energy to, to do the exercise comes from the metabolism of fatty acids and, and the glucose in the mitochondria, which are uh, small capsules within the muscle that are packed full of different enzymes that metabolize the, uh, the uh, fat and carbohydrate and, and convert it into a useful form of energy that enables muscle contraction. And one of the uh, principal, and these are the enzymes, the whole structure of uh, the mitochondria are all protein. And so that the, uh, another aspect of protein metabolism that's crucial to distance running is the increasing the number and function of the mitochondria. And that involves stimulation of the proteins required to not only have an increased number of mitochondria, but also the proteins that go into the mitochondria that are involved in the metabolism of energy substrates. So, so we have two components that we're really trying to optimize in exercise training, the quality of muscle based on the breakdown of, of, uh, of protein that is not functioning so well and replacing it with highly functioning uh, new protein, and also the uh, production of new functional mitochondria that enable a, a greater production of energy to provide the uh, fuel for the muscle to keep contracting throughout the uh, course of exercise. Brilliant. Because I think a lot of people think protein building muscle get bigger and, and a lot of people endurance don't want that. So if we can understand it, protein is helping the muscle contraction. And obviously during an endurance event, your muscle contraction is happening, you know, millions and millions of times that the better the protein uh, or, the, or the, the smoother the protein and the, the better built back the muscle is not necessarily bigger, but the, the more efficient it's going to be at contracting and the better the contractions. And then what we're using to transport um, fuel substrate and oxygen around the body is actually made of protein. So we need it from that sense as well to get better transportation of the energy around the body. So we're yeah. actually looking at protein completely different probably to what a lot of people think. Yeah, and I think there's one other, I don't want to get too sidetracked on this, but it's an area that, that I've uh, developed a patent for and, and uh, have really followed through on. And that is that um, the fatigue and a prolonged exercise bout is not only physical, but mental. And that uh, <clears throat> the mental fatigue is caused by an alteration in the neurotransmitters in the brain. And what happens over time, there are two primary neurotransmitters that are work in opposition to each other. One is serotonin, which is the sleepy uh, top fatigue kind of feeling and dopamine being the other, which is the excitatory and, and high focus. And what we wanna do is, is uh, promote a high ratio of the dopamine to the serotonin. And it turns out that these neurotransmitters are produced from the essential amino acids in the blood. And so that by, we wanna maintain the ratio of these essential amino acids in the blood in the optimal combination to maintain a high ratio of dopamine to serotonin. And, and I think that, uh, that in many respects, this is one of the key factors of being able to keep going 
you know, a lot of times in a long run and a workout, you might feel like, well, uh, I, I'm all done. But then if someone would offer you 10 bucks to go a little bit faster, you, there's always more energy there. And that's because you're not really physically exhausted, but you're mentally have, have lost your focus and the serotonin is starting to be predominant. So that that's another factor that we want to take into account with our protein and amino acid uh, um, nutrition, that these uh, neurotransmitters are so important in our, our perception of fatigue are uh, in fact being produced in the right ratios because of the balance of the amino acids in the blood. Very interesting as well, actually. That I knew there was some amino acids out there for cognitive function, but I, I didn't fully understand why. So that is very interesting. Um, so we're talking about amino acids, which some people will know are the of what proteins are made up of. Do we get in enough amino acids through dietary protein? Is that enough? Or do we need to go and take amino acid supplements? The, uh, it depends what your goal is. I think it's important to understand how dietary recommendation for protein intakes is derived. Uh, the amount of protein that is recommended by the experts to eat is 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram per day. Uh, so that works out to uh, about 50 or 60 grams of protein for most people. Um, and the basis for that is not functioning as a runner, but rather avoiding uh, avoiding very obvious symptoms of low nutrition, such as your hair falling. If you go below that amount, your hair will start falling out, you'll lose muscle mass and, and really physically not function as well. So if we're talking about the RDA for protein as a runner, it's, it's, it's vastly inadequate. The, uh, uh, the issue of, of supplementation uh, then kind of feeds into how much protein are you eating during the day? Most runners will be eating a quite a bit more than that minimal amount simply by eating a normal diet because uh, they're eating more calories and uh, protein is gonna be a component of the normal calories. Uh, what we've found and what has been the basis for uh, 10 different patents that I have in, in different combinations is that that there's an additional component that we can tap into with specific essential amino acids in dietary supplements. And these are absorbed much more rapidly than the amino acids in dietary protein where digestion has to occur and, and over several hours, the amino acids gradually come in. With three amino acids, they are immediately absorbed. There's no digestion involved. And the peak levels reach much higher values than with the dietary proteins. And as such, actually serve as metabolic regulators for things, including initiation of protein synthesis, but also even metabolic factors like reducing the fat in the liver, uh, the, uh, the, what I mentioned before, maintaining uh, mental focus. Uh, a variety of factors can be influenced by the free amino acids, even in very small amounts regardless of what the level of dietary protein is. I, I, I fully advocate uh, a diet of high quality protein. If, uh, if, if the diet is not high in protein or, or high quality protein, which is uh, particularly the case with vegan diets, then the uh, paying attention to eating enough 
uh, supplement to, to maintain an optimal amount of, of essential amino acids is crucial, but it's just as helpful if you're eating a meat-based uh, diet as well, because the free amino acids that you eat in a supplement are quite a bit more rapidly absorbed and, and reach higher levels and actually can serve as metabolic signals to better utilize the, uh, the dietary protein. In fact, uh, we have uh, developed one, one uh, approach, which is a combination of whey protein and, and free amino acids so that the free amino acids activate all the molecular processes involved. And then as the uh, more slowly de digesting uh, amino acids from the dietary protein uh, come into the bloodstream, all the metabolic processes have really been jacked up by the, uh, by the uh, uh, free amino acids that have been eaten and, and you get a much more effective utilization of the dietary protein. Okay. So by free amino acid, you mean an amino acid that's not attached to anything that needs to be broken down within the stomach, such as like a protein supplement that we traditionally would say like whey protein or protein within food. Um, by taking an amino acid, you are drinking or eating, mainly drinking or taking in a pill form, the, the amino acid is going to go straight into your stomach and be used much, much faster than it having to be broken down and then used. Exactly. And the other advantage of the free amino acid mixtures is that you can formulate them in whatever proportions you want. And so that uh, it turns out, and this is one of the things that I spent several years researching, that the optimal formulation to stimulate muscle protein turnover is not paralleled by any dietary protein. So that by, by formulating an amino acid mixture that exactly coincides with the optimal stimulation of muscle protein turnover, we can actually have a more direct effective way of stimulating muscle protein than eating a lot of dietary protein. And, and as a distance runner, you don't want to, I mean, you, you want to eat enough protein, but you, do, you have to also account for the fact that, that depending on the source, you're eating a lot of calories with the uh, protein. And I think that's one of the things that uh, is always kind of a challenge I knew that I needed to lose weight if I was going to really be a world-class runner, but the main reason I ran was because I liked to eat and I wasn't going to, uh, I wasn't going to sack, I, I felt like I was working hard enough running that I'm not going to cut back on what I eat. <laughs> but I was also impressed that a lot of the world-class runners I knew were constantly concerned about what they're eating. And, and the problem is you need enough protein and you even we actually have a, a, a protein drive in our brain that if we have an insufficient amount of protein you're going to seek protein rich foods to uh, until you get the amino acid levels up to where you no longer have that drive for uh, fulfilling your protein intake but along with that if you're eating meat you're going to get a lot of fat along with it a lot if you're eating a vegan diet you get uh, a pile of carbs with it uh, and and that's why I think a mixture of a, of a high quality diet along with some key formulated amino acid mixtures, depending on what your goal is. There are different mixtures for different uh, metabolic goals, but you know, the most appropriate metabolic mixture of free amino acids will really enhance. And, and by, by, by this, what I mean is it can be as low as three to five grams of essential amino acids having a bigger effect than 20 to 30 grams of a dietary protein like whey protein. So that uh, it's more than just 
these are the bulk precursors of protein, but, but their role as metabolic regulators that has been, uh, I think, the major discovery that's made the uh, use of the dietary supplements of the amino acids so uh, important. Okay. Okay, got it. Have you done any research around the, you know, the top runners in the world, which would be the, the Kenyans, the Ethiopians, um, and, and their diets, because they, they are very rich, what they think is a very high carbohydrate diet. But what you're saying about proteins and endurance um, performance would suggest that somehow they're getting in some quality protein as well. Yeah, uh, I, I'm only familiar with the Kenyan approach. And I know that, uh, that there's two aspects of the Kenyan. Uh, uh, this was... I had a good friend who was on the British Olympic team that went there and trained with them for a few weeks until it was burned out. Uh, that, that it involved three workouts a day with one interval workout every single day. And uh, so, you know, I think we have to consider, you know, anything else as like, that's why they're so good. They have the natural ability, they've been doing it from when the time they're five years old and they train like maniacs. But that being said, uh, there, you know, I, I was looking at a uh, paper that, that gave the average diet and they're eating over 5,000 calories a day. And that when I broke that down, it turned out to be about almost two grams of protein per kilogram per day, which is more than twice the uh, RDA for protein. So they certainly, they, they, it's a hot, the, the proportion of, uh, of carbs in the diet is high but the actual amount of protein is, is also high just by virtue of the fact that they're eating so much, uh, so much calories to maintain, uh, you know, an energy balance with, you know, incredible level of workout. Yeah. And the, and they're small and very light as well. So two, two grams yeah. per kilogram of body weight, isn't actually that much compared to what no, maybe is right. a typical Western. Exactly right. That's a good point. Interesting. Yeah. We, we went there last year. Uh, listeners will know that, but, um, we definitely wanted to eat like the locals, but you just, you don't work out how, because they just in, they eat a lot. It's called Ugali, but you think, oh, just eating Ugali three times a day is, is definitely not something that you're yeah. appetizing to and yeah, you, you find yourself have... driven back towards the more Western style foods. It's, it's hard, but I think that, you know, that's just such a different culture. I, I, you know, from my experience, most of the Kenyans are not looking at long careers of running. They want to hit the hit hit the big uh, payday, and uh, some continue, but most of them, you, you hear of them for a year or two, but it's just so hard to maintain the uh, level of training that they do. That uh, I think that, that that there's only been a few that really last for a long period of time, and. So if you're only really trying to get to a point where you're going to really shine for the next few years, you can stomach something. But if you're a recreational runner, uh, you know, there's only so much sacrifice that you're going to do. Uh, but, but I think that that's where you have to really, uh, I, I think that, the, that it's a big challenge. Uh, it's, a, it's a big challenge if you're eating a diet that is is not high in high quality protein. And by what that, I mean that uh, there are nine essential amino acids and these are amino acids that can't be produced in the body. And so they have to come from the diet. There are actual dietary requirements for each individual essential amino acid in addition to total protein. And uh, with a plant-based diet, 
uh, many of the plant-based proteins don't have all nine amino acids or are very deficient anyway in one or two of the essential amino acids so that you really have to pay attention to matching your food, uh, your protein food sources if you're relying on a plant-based diet to be sure that if you're eating a, eating a, uh, a protein that's deficient in the amino acid lysine that you eat it with another uh, protein that has an ample amount of lysine but maybe deficient in something else so that you can match these proteins. And I think uh, actually we're in a process of trying to develop a uh, kind of a scoring system that enables you to, to, uh, to conveniently uh, do that because I think a lot of runners do like to, if, if not vegan or vegetarian, at least uh, not have a heavy meat-based diet. And uh, when doing that, then there becomes a, a, a possibility, a very distinct possibility of uh, a deficiency in some key essential amino acids. Yeah, I definitely think whenever we have clients or, or athletes who are saying they want to go to a more vegan-based diet, it's definitely a concern of of mine is okay well you need to really learn and educate yourself on on proteins and, and what's contained in what food because otherwise yeah you, unfortunately it happens too often is is it, you might not get injured or burnt out immediately but three six months down the line when the deficiencies kick in it, it's very common yeah, i mean i think that's an interesting point that the uh that, that you have to rely on the science really because you know, just sitting here, we have no idea how fast our proteins are being synthesized or broken down. And it's, uh, it's about 2% per day, which means that if you have a change, it's going to be a couple of months before you really have any real uh, uh, notice of that. And, you know, in the case of it being an insufficient insufficiency in the diet, uh, that, that's going to be a lot of water under the bridge because it's just as it takes a long time to become evident to you, it takes a long time to, uh, to rectify. And, and, and in my experience, it's quite often not recognized as the problem. And, uh, and so that's why, uh, you know, that, that I sort of stress the, the scientific background of my work because you, you really have for the protein nutrition, you really have to rely on what the science is because uh, you're not gonna tell this week uh, any great effect of, of what you've eaten with regard to you know, amount of protein or amino acids. Yeah, you can tell though, when you take amino acids for mental stimulation, you can feel the difference almost immediately. Yeah. That That's is, always interests it, me. It's, it's really interesting. Uh, you know, I do that now just when I, I, I work out every morning. And the first thing I do is, is mix up the amino acids that are formulated specifically to promote dopamine. And, uh, you know, I feel better than I had, more alert and better than if I had a cup of coffee. It, it is actually remarkable how quickly you get uh, an mm. impact of that. Is that L-tyrosine L and L-arginine? Well, uh, the, ty the tyrosine is the direct precursor of, of uh, uh, dopamine. Uh, however, it's you don't have. It's very hard to to eat a lot of to 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 have a supplement with a lot of uh, tyrosine because it's very insoluble. So the more effective way is to uh, have uh, a significant dose of phenylalanine, which is the precursor for for tyrosine. So as phenylalanine is given in excess, it's broken down, and that increases the tyrosine physiologically, and the physio and the tyrosine. Uh, is the actual precursor that stimulates the dopamine production. 
So uh, what we do is, is take a, a formulation that has an excess amount of, uh, of phenylalanine, which will and, and actually stimulate dopamine. And at the same time, tryptophan is the precursor, the amino acid precursor of serotonin. So uh, the optimal mixture for, for, formula, for a metal focus is, has no tryptophan in it so that it decreases the uh, uh, production of the, of the, of the serotonin. The, 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 you know, there's always been a joke about feeding turkey to somebody to put them to mm. sleep. And, and the basis for that is that turkey protein is probably the highest in tryptophan of any that we can put our finger on. So, uh, you know, we want to do the reverse. And, and, and parenthetically, uh, you know, it's not a good pre-race meal to have a big turkey dinner either because you want the, uh, the Thanksgiving run is opening. always a difficult one. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Good. Um, if, if we're going to pull this back to, to something for our listeners to take away and they, and they're understanding now the importance of, of protein in the body, but also amino acids, where do you start? Because for example, here in Dubai, you can walk into any, um, in pharmacy and you see just piles and piles of amino acid supplements, protein supplements. Um, and how do we, what do we look for, um, in terms of let's talk about performance for endurance athletes, what should we be looking for in an amino acid supplement? Uh, I think the best, uh, I'm involved with a company called the amino company and it's not, you, you couldn't go into a store in, in Dubai and get anything. This product is not sold there, but we have an extensive webpage that goes into the rationale for different formulations. One for, uh, for the uh, uh, metal focus, one for, uh, uh, for stimulating protein synthesis and recovery from workouts. And those are the two most uh, apropos for running. Uh, and so what I suggest would be to go onto that webpage and, and read up on it. And, and it will give the, the basis for why you want certain things. And, and I think it's, it's well worthwhile to educate yourself because uh, like you said, there's all sorts of combinations and uh, I, I've patented different formulations, but the problem is that uh, most people really, you know, it's, there, there are a lot of amino acids and there are a lot of functions and it's, it's really a, a complex kind of uh, field, which, uh, you know, to, you see a lot of mixtures of like branch chain amino acids, essential amino acids. And uh, I would just, uh, you know, steer, steer your, uh, your followers to, uh, to the amino company website and, and let them read up uh, on, on the rationale for why those amino acid based uh, products are so uh, helpful. Uh, you know, as I said, it's not really plugging it for South Africa because I, I, they're not sold there. But, uh, but I think that there are, are probably products that at least incorporate the principles that are uh, uh, discussed in the webpage. Yeah, I'll and put course, that into the... In an area where they can order it and they can get it. But, uh, yeah, I'll put that into the show notes. And, and I actually have been on there and, and there's a tab that says learn and you can go down and... You can see a list of all your patents but also the case studies and the the science and something you have called a knowledge center which is just interesting reading anyway um and then as you said have a look at what they're made up of and and go and have a look at what other what other supplements uh look similar to it or i'm sure like this day and age we can order things from from all over the world so people can head there and and have a shop as well it's um it's very interesting and it's something that i think 
like you said, you've started your, your running career and your research back in the 70s, but this is still an area that endurance athletes don't take note of. Um, and if you've got your, you know, your weekly schedule down, you've got your key components of, of run training done and you're looking for, for further performance, um, this is definitely an area that, that people can learn, educate themselves more on and, and implement very easily into their day. We're not talking about altitude training or um, any sort of secret formulas here. We're talking about something that people consume every single day. And if you consume it a little bit smarter, maybe a little bit more for some people, um, you're going to see a performance boost, no doubt. Yeah, I think that the bottom line I'd really like to leave with people is that I think most people that are serious runners that want to head towards a vegan or, or plant-based diet are doing so for improving their performance without really understanding what the goal is. And, uh, and you know, I'm not, you know, gonna, gonna uh, say you shouldn't have that as a dietary approach, but, but, but at the very least, if that's the tack you're gonna take, realize that it's just not uh, that straightforward to, to cut meat out of your diet and, and uh, expect to have a high level of performance that, uh, that you really need to pay attention to the protein and, and amino acid co components of your diet to, uh, to really optimize performance. Brilliant. Dr. Bob, thank you so much. You've, uh, you've given us more than enough of your time. And uh, I have one last question for you. You're still running, but how long is your long run now? <laughs> yeah, uh, I up to I, probably, I guess, about four miles. I've actually taken up much more resistance exercise in the last few years, uh, just to sort of combat some of the uh, effects of aging. And, and uh, the running sort of hit a snag when I had a hip replacement. And uh, I've gotten back to where I can do longer than that. but. Uh, if I do more than about four miles, I, 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 it starts uh, wearing down on me. But I'm 75, so <laughs> I, I'm happy with being uh, four miles. I hope I'm running four miles at 75. Brilliant. Yeah, well, you know, you're never satisfied. I'd definitely like to be doing more. But uh, uh, I think that's one of the keys to getting older is uh, accommodating to the fact that you just can't do what you used to do. No, unfortunately not. Time always wins. <laughs> good thank you very much i've put your okay. um your company into the show notes so people are going to go there have a read do you have any other uh, pages or is that your main page that people can go to and, and check your work out on yeah no i think that would probably be the most effective way to check it out brilliant okay dr bob thank you so much okay and have a good sure evening yes i enjoyed it that was Dr. Bob Wolf, guys, who is obviously a complete expert in protein, but not only that, running as well, you know, incredible, <laughs> incredible stories to hear. And also um, general metabolism as well. So go and check out his webpage, which is aminoco.com. It's in the show notes. You can go and click the link there. Um, and on there, he does have a shop of supplements that, that the company, um, I think he either owns or is affiliated with, sells. And then you can also head to a company that I use, which is called unbrokenrtr.com. And that is a, an amino acid supplement as well. Now you know the benefits, you might want to get involved. As always, if you have any questions for the show, you can email them, endurance at innerfight.com. You can go check out what Rob Jones is up to, Rob Jones Endurance on Instagram, or you can check out what I'm up to, Tom Walker Fitness, also on Instagram. 
Thank you very much for listening and we'll be back next week. 